Hello, good evening, uh, and welcome to uh, the latest uh, Conversations in Social Justice, the podcast series for the Institute for Social Justice. Uh, my name is Jack Hunter. I'm a first year PhD researcher, and it's my pleasure today to talk to uh, Sophia Parker, uh, who is from the JRF, the Joseph Rantry Foundation. Nice to be here. Hi, Sophia. Uh, Sophia leads a major new program of work at JRF, uh, looking to imagine and grow radical new approaches to tackling poverty uh, in collaboration with JRF's partners and people with lived experience of poverty. Um, before she worked at JRF, she um, was a CEO at a London-based charity that works to tackle child poverty. And before that, um, sounds like you've... Think tanks lots and stuff. <laughs> think tanks and stuff was my summary as well, yeah. yeah. Uh, but now you live in York. I do. And, and you're here today and we're, we're going to have a conversation about um, imagination, um, the role of imagination in social transformation and tackling poverty and, and, and all of that good stuff. Um, so... Uh, yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. <laughs> um, so um, let's get started. Um, I suppose to start with, it would be useful to talk about, well, what is the imagination when we're mm. talking about it in this context, when we're talking about the imagination and the cost of living crisis and tackling mm. poverty, when we talk about an institution like JRF, which is a, a social change organization um, committed to tackling uh, poverty. Mm. Why are you? Why are we here talking about the imagination? Mm. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I think to answer that question, um, I'd like to cast our minds back a couple of years um, to May 2020. Uh, so at the time, I was running a charity, Little Village, down in London, which was like a, a food bank but for baby kit. And I was standing that day in May um, in a community centre in Somerstown, which is a ward um, in sort of North London, uh, where lots and lots of the big tech firms are now basing themselves. So Facebook and Google. So you've got these kind of incredible, like huge buildings of, you know, the kind of uh, bastions of you know, tech <laughs> and platform capitalism. The real big boys. The big boys. And, um, and, and also these estate after estate of post-war housing. And on that day, um, you know, we were in, in, in the, the kind of throes of the pandemic and demand for um, support at Little Village had pretty much doubled overnight. And I was feeling completely overwhelmed. You kind of look around you, the juxtaposition of these two worlds just made no sense at all. And you were in one way had the situation where, you know, you've got these big companies, big tech companies making millions in profit. And just down the street, you've got families who are struggling to feed their children. 95,000 95, kids in London growing up below the breadline. And charities like ours were working 24-7, like, you know, falling over ourselves to try and provide support. But it just never felt enough. And standing there that day, I just had this feeling of total hopelessness that it just felt like poverty and inequality are kind of hardwired into our social and economic mm. systems. And well, I mean, I went home and cried. It just felt impossible to tackle it. So that's kind of an important, I guess, bit of the story of why I think imagination matters, because actually coming into the present day and into our work at Joseph Roundtree Foundation, we have our work cut out to do everything we can to tackle poverty. Uh, 6.5 million people are in deep poverty today. Um, a third of kids are growing up in poverty. Those numbers are rising. Um, so 
the work we need to do with others um, in, in, in the charity sector to kind of hold the government's feet to the fire about policy interventions that kind of stem that increase in poverty are so important. Things like campaigning to keep benefits in line with inflation and so on. We're having to spend a lot of time holding on to these things that you kind of think are the absolute minimum, right? So there is an awful lot of urgent work that we need to do. But the truth is, as we sit here today, the ground is shifting beneath our feet. Um, we've been through a financial crisis in 2008, a political crisis uh, with Brexit, uh, a kind of public health uh, and social crisis during COVID. Um, we're seeing a climate crisis, which is alarming. We've got a decade at best to tackle um, that. Um, and and in all of that, you just think, my God, like these the, the things we're doing to try and address poverty are just not sufficient. Mm. And actually, we need to take a leap of imagination. We need to think much more expansively about what it will take to build a future where people and planet can thrive. And to do that work, I think we have to think about imagination as kind of a, a set of practices that are at the epicenter of any work around social justice. Um, and so that's why we are talking a lot about it at Joseph Rowntree Foundation. I think it often gets sort of seen as this sort of slightly abstract idea that, um, you know, it's a nice thing you do in your spare time or when you're reading novels. Actually, I think it is you know, it needs to be right at the heart of our efforts to tackle poverty and inequality today. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it sounds like it's a proper link to that idea of system change right of yeah. the the there's only so much we can do at the moment under those current paradigms under the current framework of mm. um of, of of business as usual that that mm. has those two worlds living mm. next to each other um it's a bit i mean there's the the idea of imagination is one that's um kind of people have looked um there's been a lot of focus in it in academic literature there's been increasing um focus of it in the policy world and what have you and people are kind of talking about um i suppose the imagination as as a thing in itself that we want to change right mm -hmm. that we want you know we we need to we need to shift our imagination mm -hmm. um and we need to shift what's sometimes called as like the kind of collective imagination um I, like i suppose when when um when a lot of people think about it it's the the kind of everyday understanding of imagination is is a is a singular thing it's it's mm. when i'm mm. you know almost um uh detaching myself from reality and i'm imagining myself somewhere else on a sunny beach maybe somewhere mm. it'd be sounds nice good. sounds good today <laughs> when it's all cold outside in york um or perhaps something might be a figment of my imagination where you know my senses deceive me for a moment um but in in some way it's kind of like a a, a, a remove a removal from uh, mm. the real mm. um uh, but i suppose what we're kind of saying is um there are ways in which the way you know the the, the ways that we imagine collectively as a, mm. as a society have very tangible and real impacts in 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 the world um and in particular this sense of the collective imagination is perhaps not something which is less understood or less talked about certainly mm. in in everyday usage um have you got a sense of what we mean by the kind of collective mm. imagination. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really good to make a distinction actually between like imagination as a sort of individual practice and something that we might do together as a, as a community. Um, and I mean, I guess the, yeah, the collective bit of the collective imagination is as, as important as the imagination piece. Um, and for me, 
the reason that matters is that we are starting to see some slightly worrying signals about the degree to which fatalism has taken hold. Um, so um, the majority of people in the global north now, now believe that their children will have a less good life than them. And I also think that we're beginning to see or beginning to pick up a sense that there is um, a, a feeling that some things can't change, that they are fixed, that there is no alternative. Um, and to some extent, that's driven by political interests, I think. Um, I mean, that's obviously a point for discussion. People have different views on that. But he, whatever you think, I think there is a sense in which collectively we are beginning to um, uh, kind of narrow our sense of what might be possible. And maybe that's because of, as I say, this, some kind of explicit political choices. It is, I think, also a symptom of modern life where people are very busy. There's a kind of a lot of overwork. People are often having to hold down two jobs to keep their heads above water and so on. And so it's kind of squeezing out these spaces to imagine alternatives and particularly to do that work together. So we are really interested in what kind of practices you need to foster collective imagination. And we also think there's some very important principles here around who gets to imagine the future. Mm -hmm. So in lots of ways, you know, the, 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 the kind of uh, money that the tech bros in Silicon Valley are putting into imagining alternative futures is astonishing. You know, this is you know, kind of uh, all, the, all the future stuff that's been done in tech, it, it, you know, huge amounts of money being invested. What is the equivalent in our communities? How are we investing in allowing everybody to imagine how they want the world to look? Um, and so some of the work that we're hoping to do and to seed over the next year or two at, at JRF is very much about what would happen if we were to resource that kind of work, where we think very much about how communities can come together and imagine what a shared alternative future might look like. And actually, I guess the other thing to say is that like, it's not a singular future. We're not looking to create a vision or a blueprint or something that we then kind of paint by numbers to get towards. Um, there's a lovely um, Zapatista saying about um, a many worlds in a world. I think it is. I might have just misquoted that. But it, the principle being that there has to be space for kind of plurality in this, but that there might be some shared principles for what this future might look like. Often when you do collective imagination work with communities, some very um, similar themes emerge around the increased desire for a recognition of our interdependence between us and between humans and non-humans, uh, our planet, um, an increased desire for solidarity, um, for justice, for valuing care. Like these mm -hmm. kind of themes come through again and again when you do collective work. Um, and I think we really just need to put more time and effort into those practices that give communities those chances to imagine the future, as well as just those in kind of well-resourced sectors yeah, of absolutely. technology and yeah, fab. I mean, I, I, in, in my in my work, I, I find the kind of sense of a um, the idea of a collective imagination. It's um, it's it's kind of a little akin to what some people talk about in terms of paradigms. Yeah. So like you've you know like in terms of like a whole set and structure of all of those unspoken norms mm. and what constitutes mm. what constitutes reality almost mm. what constitutes what's normal what does political action look like who's a legitimate political actor mm. um you know you know what's good and what's bad and all of these things together constitute quite a mm. uh, um an unspoken set of of assumptions that that um are taken for granted and that kind mm. of at, at, at the background and that help 
structure what happens on the ground right mm. in terms mm. of like well you know this what project or you know what what um, action is going to have validity which mm. one's going to get the money and all of that kind of stuff mm. um, um, I suppose yeah the, the the idea of a kind of um, yeah I suppose like a paradigm as, as, a, yeah. as a as a way of thinking about it um, but it also what, what you're saying is quite interesting is that you know that that um, underneath that it's because I think some of the thinking when you talk about paradigms mm. and, and all of these big things it all sounds mm. quite top down and it sounds mm. quite totalizing mm. um whereas what's quite nice about some of the the stuff around imagination is that first of all like you know so mm. we, we have to be imagining it's not a top-down thing there's mm. there's always even in even in your even in your locality in your community if you're sitting there and thinking there is no alternative to you know, to this, that's, you know, that that's, that's happening in the, in the, in the everyday. Um, and so it's an imaginative act mm. that there are, that also means that there are alternatives, right. Mm. And that mm. perhaps, um, there are, there are alternatives, ways of, um, alternative paradigms that are bubbling up um, under the surface that are already, mm. um, that are already happening in some of the communities that, mm. that, that, that um, might seek change. Mm. Um, I wondered if you could speak a little mo bit more around. Yeah. W yes, some of those alternatives and and how that. If 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 we're interested in imagination and and social action, well, mm. you know, presumably it's not enough just to imagine it. Mm. How how do we how do we ensure that 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 that, that turns mm. into a, mm. a kind of real movement for social yeah. transformation? Yeah. Well, so I think you, what you've just been saying sparks two thoughts for me. I mean, one is that one of the things I find myself saying a lot is that it is those who benefit least from the status quo who are most able to imagine alternatives. When you're benefiting from something, it's kind of hard to see or hard to, yeah. you know, at some level you might not want it to change. But for those who are being really badly served by the way things are now, they're already having to engage in daily acts of imagination to believe to keep going, mm. to believe that then, you know, it might get better. And so we're really, really interested in how do you, how do you kind of amplify the voices of those who benefit least from the status quo? How do you support them to imagine alternatives? And often, you know, these are communities that have been, you know, um, marginalized, or, you know, through a number of different sort of systemic injustices. And so actually to do that work, it's also about creating space for healing from that harm that people have experienced. So I think the way in which we, where we put our attention when we're talking about imagination is really important and being very interested and very alive to the voices of those who've benefited least from the status quo seems very, very important. Um, and the other thing, as you were talking, I was just thinking about, so one of the metaphors we use a lot for imagination is about soil. Mm. So... Um, uh, next year, we're going to be funding a whole bunch of organisations who we think are doing an amazing job of actively building alternative futures through their organisations. And lots of them have been engaged in this work for a number of years. And they're building things that people can kind of go and see and feel and like kind of get their heads around. Um, and they are building those new things in the context of the old. So it's a constant battle not to get pulled back into the way things are now. But in lots of ways, they've had to exercise a lot of imagination. Um, and I kind of see those as the, the the saplings and in some cases the trees that have grown out of the soil. And for me, imagination work has to be about creating that that soil, that that healthy soil, 
it feels like soil the soil of our yeah. community has been impoverished um through you know a decade of austerity and uh, many other things um and that actually the task for or at least some of the work is about how do you nourish that soul soil how do you how do you actually enable things to emerge that things that might be new um and often that work is quite intangible and that is a challenge particularly you know i now sit in a funding organization funders love things that hmm. you can measure and things that have been proven and what we're saying here is well actually like the 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 impact of this imagination work might, might be quite diffuse it might take a really long time for anything to emerge from it but actually if we want more of these trees and saplings that are you know these exemplars of what an alternative future might look like if we don't really look after that soil and pay attention to it and think about what we might need to put into that soil um to to enable these alternatives to emerge then we're going to be in trouble because there won't there won't be enough momentum in in the, this kind of work of alternative future building. Fab. Well, as a keen gardener, I'm very very <laughs> much on board with that. I'm very proud of my compost heap at the moment. Well, I there have to you say. go. <laughs> so um, the alternative yeah, is there. <laughs> I'm all I'm all for more compost of ideas and imagination. Yeah. That sounds great. Um, so um, you've, you've you've mentioned well, you kind of touched on a little bit this idea of almost like a crisis of imagination mm. or some kind of sense that maybe we've I don't know where I don't know who this we is that we're speaking mm. of, but mm. maybe maybe that's that's for a, a, a another a, another something else to think about. Um, but the the idea of a crisis of imagination, um, mm. are we? Is that something that we are experiencing? Do you think, or mm. if it is, what 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 do we mean by a crisis yeah. of imagination? Yeah, well, I mean, it's certainly something that Jeff Morgan has talked about in his recent book, which is a big recommend from me, by the way. Mm. Um, another world is possible. It's called. It's very good. Um, and and I think I agree with his thesis. Um, I mean, we talked a little bit about the kind of increase in fatalism um, that we've seen. And I definitely think that our kind of, as individuals, our ability to exercise our imagination muscle is kind of going down. We need to get it back to the gym. And that's partly, you know, generated through our education systems. And as I say, the kind of busyness of modern life and so on. Um, but I do think there is a, a kind of crisis that is showing up in institutional form as well. So, you know, the world I used to work in, think tanks and, 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 that, and, that, and that kind of world the policy world you know you see now that that has been captured in a way by the new cycle it's very much kind of guided by what you can get the money for um in terms of projects you can do um and so you it feels like that that kind of thinking has narrowed and actually in universities like the ones when we sit in now you know i think you see social science departments where it's kind of um calcified a little bit that that sense of it's very much about analysis and comment rather than seeing social sciences as a kind of world-building um, mm. practice or a world-building discipline. Um, and I think, I think Jeff argues that very, in a very compelling way in his book. So, you know, I think, I think you can see that there is, a, there is something going on where we are losing the spaces that perhaps have existed in the past to think about alternatives. And I suppose, you know, there are some, there are some people who have argued that it's kind of like maybe it's slightly darker than that, that this hasn't just happened by accident. Um, so Henry Giroux has done a lot of uh, study of the American political system and has shown um, in quite a lot of detail about the way in which politicians have manipulated media to kind of close down that sense of alternatives being possible. And actually, you know, Naomi Klein talking about shock doctrine and Rebecca Solnit, these are all people who've talked about the idea that perhaps those in power who are benefiting from the status quo, it's in their interests 
to suggest there is no alternative, yeah. as a well-known former Prime Minister <laughs> Raz once said. Um, so, so I think I think you know I, I guess it's a, a point of discussion about the degree to which this is a deliberate move versus something that is just beginning to emerge. But either way you look at it, I do think there is a crisis in imagination. And that that crisis in imagination is not just in the mind. It has material consequences. It, it constrains our ability to think about how we might need to reimagine the way we live, the way we work, the way we care in the context of these huge changes around climate and ageing population technology. Um, we just feel very ill-equipped to meet the scale of those challenges. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think that's undeniable. I think, mm. um, I think what... Um, what what's in my head, I suppose, is is do you think this is a new phenomenon? Mm. Phenomenon? <laughs> is this a new phenomenon, or is it um, something perhaps that's always been the case? Is it always hard to birth new ideas? Mm. Um, has there always been a status quo that protects its own interests mm. and and that you know doesn't want to hear a radical new mm. imaginary about you know mm. how how we can live differently? Um, or is there something particular about this moment now? Mm. And 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 as if mm. if if so, what's changed? Is yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess what I would say is that the need for imagination has become more urgent now because we have an awareness about the climate crisis that you know we just haven't really engaged with, and and time is limited. So when I first joined JRF, I used to talk about the urgent work of kind of ameliorating the worst impacts of poverty now and the deep work which sort of engages more in these sort of paradigm questions but actually I've, I've changed that now I talk about the urgent urgent work and the urgent deep work because the deep work is just as urgent um I mean I guess what I would say I mean I take quite a lot of inspiration from um the early 20th century as a time where it felt like imagination was rich and flourishing so if you go back to actually the time that Joseph Rowntree our our founder was um alive and working um, this was a time when um, there were kind of new maps of poverty beginning to emerge. It was just showing the scale and depth of poverty in UK cities, including here in York. Uh, and and actually, there were a kind of there was a generation of social reformers, including Joseph Rancher, also some amazing women, um, Octavia Hill, Maud Pember Reeves, uh, Beatrice Webb, um, who instead of retrenching into the way things are were then set about this work of building a new world, recognising that the kind of old world as it was was no longer making sense, but the new world hadn't yet emerged. And I think if you look at that period between 1900 and 1940, it was this kind of incredible period of experiments in kind of pensions and insurance and child benefit and free milk and all these things that, um, that weren't tri being tried for the first time. And I think all those experiments and things like laid the ground for what then became a, a very radical act of imagination in the beverage report and the, and the kind of post-war welfare settlement. I don't think that would have happened without that 40-year period of experimentation and imagination. Our challenge today is we don't have 40 years. So the question is, like, how can we, like, can we speed this up? Can we, like, is it possible to move at the rate we now need to move um, given, given, yeah, how little time we have? Yeah, <laughs> So you, you, I mean, I suppose on that you've talked about the imagination as as a muscle, yeah. Um, uh, something that presumably needs exercise and needs constant work. Um, mm. 
Mm. How, how, how does, could, could you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the things we've been doing over the last year is we've been working with, well, actually, we've been funding a group called Maya, the Maya, the Maya group, um, to support this sort of nascent field of collective imagination and the practitioners that are kind of, I guess, experimenting with uh, what, what does it mean to grow collective imagination? A lot of those practitioners have a kind of creative and cultural background. Some of them come from community development. What they all share is a kind of interest in this question of how do you move people out of a kind of day-to-day existence and into a space where together they're imagining alternatives that feel real and possible, but also different to the way things are now. Um, And... I mean, there's, there's, there's an awful lot of insight, I think, from the work that's already happened about um, how to grow that. It is something we want to bring some more rigour to over the next next couple of years. So one of the things we're going to carry on doing is working with this kind of group of collective imagination practitioners to learn about the methodologies that work, kind of how you not only move people into that space, but then sustain the work that comes out mm. of it. Um I mean, I guess one thing I would say that's like really, really clear already what we know, this isn't a kind of um, this isn't about having a a kind of cosy workshop with some wacky post-it notes and everyone goes home going, oh, yeah, we had a really good imagination session today. This is long, deep work that takes kind of sustained engagement over time. Um, And and it also requires a degree of of institutional and civic buy in in order that it doesn't just become a set of nice conversations that kind of get left in the room where they happened. Yeah, I can see that maybe if, you know, some people listening or, you know, pe- people who might engage with the, the idea of, you know, might hear that JRF is funding imagination work. And I, I can I can see someone coming to it and saying, like, hang on, we're talking about poverty here. We're talking about deep mm. problems. Mm. And you're over here talking about... Mm-hmm imagine you know imagination stuff and you know uh you know are are Mm. we are we saying that if you close your eyes and wish it hard enough you can imagine poverty away Mm. um or you know or Mm. i suppose yeah the the kind of why why we why focus on this and Mm. and not Mm. the urgent Mm. work getting people to you know getting people to meet their material needs and i think you've you answered a bit of that at the start in terms Mm. of this this distinction between you know the meeting the material needs and then but also the need for wider Mm. system to change but Mm. i mean i wonder um are those kind of conversations that you've had and i mean i'm very familiar with them yeah (laughs) um it's very like in, in my world like i think it's a very um it's a very understandable response that oh my God, like the crisis is up against us and you're saying we need to think about collective imagination, like what planet are you on? I think my response to that is, well, we need to create some space for this. Otherwise, we're just going to keep on trying to find that sticking plaster and shoving it over again and again and again. The vast majority of social justice funding in the UK goes gets poured into ameliorative work. That is important, essential work. We would be abdicating our responsibility if we were not also playing in that space and playing our part but to say we have to put everything into that I I don't I don't buy it I I think you have to create some space for this more speculative work for this more um, imaginative work because otherwise we're just going to keep doing what we've been doing and the truth is poverty is going up not down 
whatever the anti-poverty yeah. sector has done over the last 30 years, however brilliant the efforts have been, however tirelessly organisations like my old organisation uh, work, poverty is going up. So, like, we have to kind of ask ourselves some hard questions here. And I suppose what we're trying to do at JRF is say, yes, this work, the ameliorative work and the kind of work on the urgent stuff is absolutely essential, but we can afford in you know uk foundations you know a lot of philanthropic money there we can afford to put some of that aside to invest in this more um speculative exploratory space so yeah i mean would you mind um telling us a little bit more maybe some examples of some of the best work or Mm. the things that really give you hope and that really inspire you in this space yeah sure um so i mean i think there's there's there's, i mean there's there's some amazing examples all around the country um so thinking about imagination practice if listeners are interested specifically in that i really recommend that you go and check out the new constellations website it's an absolute delight to get lost in so make a cup of tea sit down and like say goodbye to the next two hours because it's got some really wonderful materials on there they have done some really interesting work um in place actually so they um they we we're funding them to do some work in sheffield but before that they ran a a a process in barrow which is um regularly known as one of the least popular places to live in um wow yeah sorry people of barrow i know well i think i think it's one of those horrible lists isn't it it just makes people that live there feel properly rubbish um but so new constellations worked with the council there and various other local actors to um to create a process for 16 barovians to go on a uh, a, a journey, um, a new constellations voyage uh, in their language, um, where they um, they did reimagine a, 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 an, an alternative future for Barrow. Um, and because you had some of those institutional actors involved, the, the kind of work that was generated, the principles that emerged from that journey, which was you know, a beautiful, diverse group of people that, that worked together, then began to shape you know the council's own planning work and um kind of the way this town center looked and so i think that's a really great example of of a kind of place-based imagination project um i mean other examples there's um uh which perhaps have centered less about kind of the practice of collective imagination but are rooted in uh, a kind of group of people saying hang on it doesn't have to be this way there's a wonderful project or a, an organization called we can make uh, down in bristol um who are basically looking to completely reshape the affordable housing sector um and in doing so are um generating local jobs uh, thinking about sustainable materials i mean it's just a very very compelling project it brings in kind of art and creativity to um you know, kind of very concrete set of issues around living standards and decent homes as well. So, yeah, those two I get constant inspiration from. But the truth is, you know, I mean, we're about to fund 22 organisations in the next um, couple of months and every single one of them, I think, are I sort of see them as our lifeboats to the future with the work that they're doing. Fab. No, I think that's really interesting, those those two examples, because it it almost draws out a a distinction uh, in, in my head um, and and you, you you kind of alluded it to it there because I think there's there's some of that work which is very deliberative, intentional imagination work, and it sounds like you know bringing together groups of people um, uh, within their communities to say 
let's let's think about the future of our community what is our place in it how can we how can we reimagine how can we see the way that we relate to each other in a different way and then i suppose in in that way you're you're kind of you've you've got a vision for where you might want to go you're also kind of creating uh, a new kind of agency i suppose mm. you're 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 creating a new we where maybe that didn't exist or it didn't existed in a slightly different form before um and 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 in that way you're i suppose it's the very early stages of social change and social mm. transformation as a as a shift from where mm. we are to where we want to be um so i suppose that that's that's one and then but then what you're saying in is 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 your second example is is almost like this is this this is a, a this is this is a way of imagining how we how we operate now mm. in the everyday and it mm. and and the different kind of values and the different yeah the different practices that are already there and and mm. in in my work I'm I've, I think I was really interested in it. I think mm. I really think there's a lot to 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 be to be drawn out of well where 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 and where are the margins where at the mm. margins are some of these alternative practices mm. and um the kind of what what some people have kind of talked about in terms of like a micro utopia yeah. like yeah. already out there there yeah. are projects which are embodying some of the values that we want to see are, you know um mm. values of solidarity and and care and 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 community um and i suppose then it's just the 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 project is is the or the focus is slightly different it's about how to grow and sustain those mm. those movements rather mm. than acting as the the catalyst or the spark mm. um I think probably the distinction somewhere mm. melts down because you could you you know you could do some of you mm. could you could do work uh, across both of those. But I, I just think it's quite interesting to think in terms of like new projects is that we're not just talking about let's imagine uh, a whole new future for everyone. It's also about finding finding the, those utopias and mm. those those visions of new futures that mm. are already there. Yeah, um, I think I think that's right, and I think I think one of the things that's very striking about about the work we're looking to fund through our Emerging Futures Programme at JRF is that a lot of the organisations we're talking about um, start from a different place. So they start from a place um, which is around solidarity, interconnectedness, liberation. These are the sort of frames of reference they have. They start from a place of recognising that the current economic paradigm is rooted in exploitative and extractive practices that they want to move away from. And that's a kind of very explicit part of their story. I think there's another thing as well that makes them distinctive, and that's that they have a, they really think about the knowledge that they value. So they value kind of lived, learned and practised knowledge. We talk about it like that, that they recognise that insight comes in many forms and not just in data or the sorts of stuff that policy wants like, um, and that that is kind of wired into their work. And I think the third thing that's very striking about this is that they do harness creativity and culture. So they might be in the community sector, but they understand the power of art in the broadest sense to inspire people, to open out new possibilities. Um, and so these are some of the things we're looking for when we're kind of thinking, how are we going to find these these utopias in the present the kind of these exemplars that the, the kind of the people who are showing in the micro what we might need more of in the macro and I think we are so we've got a kind of an initial list of the kind of characteristics that might define this sort of work I'm pretty sure that will evolve over the next couple of years but some of the things I've mentioned are our starting point I guess.
Fab. Yeah. Um, and so in terms of what JRF is doing now, so mm. you've mentioned you've got that you there there are these projects already that you're mm-hmm. you're funding. Mm. Um would you mind telling us a little bit more about what 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 you're doing and i suppose any reflections on what you hope to to achieve by by yeah. um by by funding these organizations and by mm. uh, critically mm. appraising what your mm. you know what your what your mission is in with relation to imagination sure um so i mean i guess the the very fact that joseph Roundtree foundation now has an emerging futures program is a reflection of the fact we recognize the importance of our kind of historical work around research, policy work, campaigning work. That's all essential. But we also want to kind of create this new space for building alternatives in order to contribute to our mission, which is to speed up and support the transition uh, to a world where people and planet thrive. So so, so it's that kind of much more active building of these alternatives, which is important for the Emerging Futures Programme. We're going to do that. I mean, we're doing that. We've just created a new fund called the Transitions Fund. Um, we are we are basically ring-fencing a, a significant proportion of our endowment um, to go into that fund over the next 10 years. Um, and through that fund, we want to... We want to move money to a mixture of organisations. Some of them are the kind of pathfinders, we call them. So the exemplars that, you know, like We Can Make, what I was just talking about, is one of them. Um, these organisations who are building the new in the context of the old, who are showing us what alternative futures might look like. We also have a track which is around imagination. Um, and so really wanting to resource perhaps that work that's less tangible, but in the soil still feels very important. Um and we are also through the fund um, wanting to create a kind of, uh, well, we're calling it the Visionaries Programme. We recognise a lot of what we're thinking about is kind of practice in, in the broadest sense of the word. We also recognise the importance of ideas. And so through the Visionaries Fund, we want to fund individuals who, through their work, are drawing us away from the status quo, who are helping us to see what alternatives might be and what they might look like. So those are the kind of main areas that we're funding through the Transitions Fund. There's one last bit which is really important and I think a very essential part of the work, which is um, we are also keeping some money aside for work that's about reimagining and reshaping philanthropy itself. Mm -hmm. We are part of the system. (laughs) We also need to reimagine whose money is this that we have? How do we have it? Where is it being invested? In what ways are we sort of sustaining, perpetuating these kind of systems that we're seeking to un, un, unpick? Um, so um, through, yeah, we are also looking to fund work which is about reshaping philanthropy and investment. So it's kind of quite a broad mix of things. I suppose in all of them, they have this kind of building alternative futures at the heart of them. That's what we're looking to resource. And I suppose the other thing to say is that through this work, we don't really want to set ourselves up as a sort of traditional grant maker who, you know, has a series of bilateral relationships with lots of individual organisations. I think instead you have to think about this work in building alternatives as as more of a kind of, um, that's a bit of a pretentious word but like an ecology it's a group of organizations who are collectively engaged in this work of imagining alternative futures and it's that that we want to really give some profile to and 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 some resources to through this work so yeah that's what we're doing um in terms of where we want to take it i mean i guess the tricky thing about all of this is you know no one knows what it takes to speed up a transition to a fairer world like we're all we're all feeling our way a bit um this is our best bet so i think there's a lot we need to do around learning and like sharing that learning openly like what are we learning about the sorts of values 
characteristics we might need more of in the future. Um, so I think there's a lot of learning we need to do. I think we also need to grow the amount of funding available for this kind of work. As I said earlier, the vast majority of UK philanthropic money goes into ameliorative work. That is really important. I think we need a little more into some of this work that's willing to engage in these deeper questions around economic paradigms. So one of my kind of key um, measures of success, certainly in the next two years, is can we expand the amount of funding available for this kind of work? Yeah. Fab. <laughs> and how optimistic are you feeling about it? I mean, do, do you have, I imagine some of those fund, some of your, uh, some other funding organisations, um, there might be a certain reluctance to talk about these kind of stuff. I mean, in, in some ways you're talking about funding some quite radical alternatives um, and with a with an aim to essentially overturn some of the, you know, existing systems that are sustaining mm -hmm. um, uh, many organisations and the status quo that, as, as, as we kind of know it. Um, do you feel like there is a momentum among other funders towards this kind of work? Um, mm. Is it, is it sufficient? What do you think? Well, I mean, it's really interesting. So earlier this year, we hosted um, a big conference called New Frontiers in Philanthropy and Investment. We had 900 people there online and in, in person. Um, and the energy in the room was astonishing. I think the philanthropy, UK philanthropy world is waking up to the roots of our wealth, the problems um, with those roots and the need to think quite differently about our role in the future um so i think that's very exciting that there's this sort of sense of an opening there um and we very much want to play in that space and you know that's kind of what the emerging futures fund is about i think there's some brilliant other funders out there who are really thinking hard about this as well um so lan kelly chase are thinking about spending down their endowment um uh, 30 Percy that you know there's a number of other foundations we're certainly not alone in doing this work um so I mean yeah hope <laughs> hope is an interesting concept isn't it I mean I I have a a quote from Rebecca Solnit pinned up above my um my desk at home um hope for me is about believing that change might be possible not being sure that it will happen but believing it might be possible and I think if you believe it might be possible why on earth wouldn't you act? Why wouldn't why on earth wouldn't you try and do this work? So that's the kind of space I spend most of my time occupying. Is sort of like I don't know if this is going to work out, but like we've got to try. And I couldn't look my children in their eyes if I didn't feel we were doing everything we could with the knowledge that we have to try and kind of move us towards a world where actually, well, the kids have got any kind of future really. Okay, fab. Um, is there anything that you, anything else you wanted to mention or talk about? Um, so I think I think there's just one quote that I would love yeah. to leave listeners with, which is from one of my favourite second wave feminists, Gloria Steinem, who says, imagination is a form of planning. And I just really think if we could all hold on to that, like everything we do starts in our imaginations. So like, let's tend to them. Let's look after them. Let's get planning. <laughs> Fab. Um, thanks so much, Sophia, um, uh, for taking the time and for what I hope um, you all agree has been a, a brilliant conversation. Um, thanks to the team here at the ISJ, to um, Lily and Harriet and uh, Jonathan. I hope you found it stimulating 